0: What's up? It's Brent with Burgundy Blog and Burgundy Blogcast. It is late on the evening of Sunday, December 9th, 2018. It's week 14 and the Redskins just got absolutely waxed by the New York Giants. At home, 40-16, to 16, having fallen behind 34-0 at half and 40 to nothing in the third. That was one of the most disgraceful losses in recent team history. In some ways, it's painful to even be thinking and talking about it right now. There are, of course, many excuses to be made, but none are sufficient to invalidate such ineptitude. And as much as it hurt to watch, it was a very important game in this dreadful season and possibly in the history and course of the franchise. So it deserves attention and discussion, and that's what I'm here for. Burgundy Blogcast is the official podcast of Burgundy Blog, which tweets from at Burgundy Blog, and every episode of Burgundy Blogcast can be streamed or downloaded from the website on bluewirepods.com. The best player on the field today for the Washington Redskins was a 32-year-old who was not in the NFL this year until about five days ago and who had not played a meaningful snap in the NFL in seven years. I'd like you to marinate on that for about 15 seconds. Do you do you follow me on that? Because I think it's indisputable and um, critically important because it speaks so loudly to the innumerable deficiencies riddling the entire organization. Josh Johnson is a cool guy. Uh, was long ago a successful college player. He's athletic and, as a younger player, had a versatile and attractive skill set. But not only is he a career backup and journeyman who never found a home and who's played for something like 14 or 17 professional football franchises, he's also been on this team for less than a week and hasn't participated in the competitive portion of a pro, or at least an NFL football game, since 2011. And he waltzed onto the Redskins roster and into the Redskins locker room and immediately became their most impactful player in a December game in the midst of playoff contention. I think that fact, in and of itself, before we even touch on the disastrous outcome of the game, is a screaming indictment of all the other players as a whole, of the entire coaching staff, of every executive who had a hand in constructing the roster, and of course, therefore, of the owner. That just absolutely 1 million percent cannot happen. That can't be the case. It strains credulity. It's almost insulting to the sport. And I just don't think it's something that could ever possibly be said of a credible, legitimate, professional football organization. Everybody knows the Redskins roster has been utterly decimated by injury this year, including very significant ones to the top two quarterbacks, to a slew of offensive linemen, and also a handful of top pass catchers. But I feel that with the scouting resources available to every NFL team, it should not even be possible to field a collection of 46 actives at any point in the regular season who could work together so poorly and half-heartedly as we all witnessed earlier today. The Redskins, especially in the first half, had absolutely rampant errors in assignment, technique, and focus to the extent that they had absolutely no chance of winning the game basically from the coin flip. In fact, I think it was fairly easy to tell, even just from the standard broadcast, that every player and coach on this team Perhaps I'm hyperbolizing, but almost every player and coach on this team knew as a matter of fact, not suspicion, but certainty, probably as of several days ago, that they would lose today's game and lose it badly. There were glaring mistakes on almost every play. And the head coach, as far as I could tell, responded to each one with complete neutrality. No passion, no emotion, no indignation, just resignation. Maybe all these injuries really did make it next to impossible for the Redskins to win today's game, even though it was at home against a four and eight opponent. Maybe they did. Maybe those injuries would have proven insurmountable for any other team. But I adamantly refuse to believe that they prohibited even competitiveness, and we did not witness that today. Injuries or not, excuses or not, that game was yet another humiliating stain. On the franchise's permanent record and reputation. I kept some notes on this game for about a quarter and a half and then I threw them into the fireplace. So we're just going to omit that segment tonight. Sanchez was pretty bad in that first half before he got benched and Josh Johnson was clearly better in the second half in relief. But I hope I don't even really need to point out that Sanchez was not the only problem or even the main problem. The main problem was hopelessness. The offense in the first quarter, especially between penalties and drops was as sloppy as any unit, Redskins or otherwise, that I think I've ever witnessed at the NFL level. Like what an absolute catastrophe. I know a lot of them are still relatively new to the team. Some of them extremely new, some of them playing out of position. But even in light of all of that, I couldn't believe how together they almost looked like they were playing a foreign sport. I mean, Sanchez looked actually quite functional for like at least a quarter. But together, these guys basically looked like a bunch of over-the-hill dads playing football on Thanksgiving. Just shockingly out of sync, unprepared, and undisciplined. Sanchez had, uh, he, he was not good, but he had no chance. It was clearly, later on, the element of mobility that gave Josh Johnson even a prayer. Well, that and of course the fact that by then the Giants had basically stopped trying. I feel that even a group of strangers, totally anonymous and randomly collected individuals with a full week's worth of practice together, should have looked a hundred times better than that ineffectual Redskins offense in the first half. Those excuses were not good enough, but but hey, at least the offense did have some excuses. How about that Redskins defense, huh? Essentially only Quinton Dunbar has been removed from this group by injury in terms of intended or expected starters. And yet they too, as a group, looked like they had only just met and were all transitioning together from rugby or perhaps dodgeball. No answer at all for Saquon Barkley and no interest into even tackling him. No answer for the arthritic Eli Manning even without Odell Beckham. Shockingly little pass rush against what was one of the worst offensive lines in the NFL over the first half of the season. No confidence, no communication, no emotion. Again, at home, coming off three straight losses, entering a relatively weak month of the schedule, and with 10-6, and and 10-6 still attainable. This healthy defense, which has been running its collective mouth since June, got shredded like cheddar. This 2018 Redskins defense is as fraudulent a unit as any I can remember. They completely faded for no apparent reason. Its most vocal leader has criticized, multiple times, its members as a whole, but also its fans and coaches. We've heard rumors of infighting for weeks. Zach Brown apparently found out an hour before the game that he was getting benched and then made an Instagram story that said nothing but SMH with a facepalm emoji. The Alabama wall is reduced to rubble. DJ Swearinger has evolved from an all-pro candidate to someone who is now only in the frame when he's chasing a tight end with the ball. Every two minutes, a totally unqualified rookie corner is giving up a 40-yard gain. The edge rushers don't get home, the inside linebackers don't fill the gaps, and without fail, after every allowed first down, two or three players look at each other and put their hands out like, what the hell just happened? They constantly have the look of being dumbfounded. What a downright sorry look in a game where your back was firmly against the wall. I'm not going to rip these randars that they had to throw in there at guard. These giant behemoth tackles who had to fill in on the inside. Because that particular situation was born of injury and basically unavoidable. But number one, Trent Williams has not been anywhere near himself since early in the season. No doubt due to his own collection of serious injuries. But he hasn't been the usual difference maker for quite a while. And at this point, I just think he's a big threat to become more seriously injured every time you trot him out there. And they should shut him down, especially since he's not protecting any quarterback who's even going to be on the roster next year. Chase Roulier, uncharacteristically, drew a couple of flags today. And then big old Morgan Moses, for all his toughness, has just turned into a giant human penalty. Stop false starting and stop holding, Morgan. Just stop doing it. You actually control your own limbs. Don't do those things. Jordan Reed has been having a nice healthy season until today. Surprisingly healthy, in fact. But he left early with what looked like a very painful and therefore I would think possibly severe foot injury. This, of course, is an athlete whose career has been basically stopped in its tracks due to bilateral foot and toe injuries. The Redskins definitely had quarterback issues throughout most of this year, but for his part, Reed, who has led the team in receptions, has clearly not been his prior self either, and nowhere near as dynamic as he was in the first couple of years of the Kirk Cousins era. Of course, I don't know yet the diagnosis of his new foot injury or how serious it might be, but even though Jordan Reed's age should really be putting him right in the prime of his career, I'm highly uh, skeptical at this point that he will get back to the heights we've seen. And depending on who else they're able to sign or draft, I would not be shocked if the Redskins look at moving on from him in the coming months. He is just clearly in decline, and he's never going to give you more than 12 games, and he is too expensive. I think after being a little bit unsure uh, intermittently over the last month and a half, that Adrian Peterson actually probably does still have more than enough left in the tank to be a very useful feature back in a balanced functional offense. I mean, we saw the full range of his once absolutely freakish skills on display with that 90-yard touchdown run last week. But right now, with random dudes everywhere else on the offense, including under center and up front trying to block for him, he is as useless as anyone else would be. He does strike me as genuinely still caring quite a lot about fighting hard and finishing strong and respecting the game. Certainly that is part of how he became one of the best running backs in NFL history. And also I'm sure because he is one of the best running backs in history. But even his high level of commitment and determination can and will not compensate for what looks on the field like most of his other teammates having basically given up And what also sounds like that when the head coach himself and many important players are describing scenes at practice where the team is bitching about putting in extra work. Jay Gruden has pretty clearly lost the team. Some of that is because of who and what he is as a coach, I think. And some of that, maybe a lot, is because of factors and circumstances largely out of his control. Those include specifically, of course, the significant injuries and also the condition of having been handcuffed or limited in some ways, I think, by those to whom he reports in terms of how he can coach, what he can say, and who he can bench or discipline. It is definitely true that he is and has been since he got here coaching at a disadvantage because of just how screwed up the Redskins are at the top. Nonetheless. As his fifth season as Redskins head coach comes to a close, it is very evident that the team has peaked and is in decline, that they too often forget to even get off the bus for big games, that he has lost the control that he once had on drama and discord in the locker room, that he definitely cannot be trusted to pick a defensive coordinator, that his offensive scheme is highly dependent on personnel after all, And in summary, that he's just not good enough to cover the glaring weaknesses of upper management. And while it's obviously unfair to fault Jay Gruden for the many major problems with both Dan Snyder and Bruce Allen, it's clear that the combination is just not good enough. Listen, I know that it doesn't really matter who the head coach is until Bruce is gone. And then further, I know that it may not even matter who the team president is until Dan Snyder is gone. But we can't get rid of Dan Snyder. So if you're not going to just quit following the team, which, by the way, I think is a perfectly reasonable and defensible move, if you're not, then really your only hope is to catch lightning in a bottle and to find a new coach who's so damn unbelievably good that he's good enough to neutralize his dumbass boss. I don't know for sure if that person exists, and if he does, I don't know his name. But at this point, I just think you have to be hoping that Dan Snyder will at least try to find him, and that eventually he'll just get lucky. Redskins fans need a head coach who can squeeze more lemonade out of the lemons that we know are coming. And I don't care much, of course, about Dan Snyder's money contractually owed to Jay Gruden at this point. I'm ready for Dan to cut Jay loose ASAP so that we know that he knows that it needs to be better than this and so that the team can waste no further time looking into potential candidates to replace him. Now, replacing Gruden will not be enough because Bruce Allen is the true cancer that is eating away at the Redskins from the inside. In his nine years, their regular season record is terrible. Their playoff appearances are few and futile. He's overspent for at least three quarterbacks who then underachieved. And you could argue that he undercommitted to the best one he ever had. He badly mishandled Scott McLuhan. He's a tone-deaf, deceitful, unrelatable weasel whose primary influence is to make all fans, other owners, and even players across the league hate the Redskins. I could not possibly care any less about what power or connections he might have with regard to the new stadium. And so, obviously, I wholeheartedly agree with the now deafening chorus of calls for his firing. And at this point, I just have to believe that no matter the closeness of his relationship with the owner, Dan has got to be seriously considering this very night, moving on from this overconfident, overmatched individual. And if he doesn't, he is going to see for sure a new low in fan interest in 2019. The Redskins are highly unlikely to win another game in 2018 because there's no talent left on offense and there's no give a damn left on defense. So all of the anger and disappointment that I'm unleashing right now and that all of you are no doubt feeling as well is only going to escalate over the next three weeks. Dan Snyder is a bad owner but I don't see how even he can't see that right now. It feels inevitable that this whole thing really needs to be blown up and if that's true then waiting is nothing more than a charade. I'm not sure who the interim head coach should be. Bill Callahan's been a head coach before. Tom Sula's been a head coach before, although not for very long or very successfully. It would probably be one of those two guys, but it really doesn't matter. They both are highly respected by the players. Whereas Jay Gruden, I think even if he's widely liked by the players, I just don't see how he could even now have sufficient credibility to run a practice. Can you imagine what practice is going to look like this week? If they didn't try hard for Jay in the games, they're not going to be trying hard for him in practice. If Jay finishes the season, there's only going to be more rumors about drama, more players speaking out through the media, more embarrassing losses, and more fan unrest. The interim head coach, obviously, whoever it is, is already on the payroll. So I'm struggling to see exactly how it would be more expensive for Dan Snyder to keep or to fire Jay now than to keep him through January. And if you fire Bruce and Jay now, you can at least avoid the escalation of the mob. So yeah, I don't think I'm being a prisoner of the moment when I say that I feel this move or, or these moves should happen tomorrow. Do I expect it? Uh, I wish I had some inf- inside information on this. I don't. I did not think yesterday that at this point today I would be expecting it. And maybe I'm still not quite there, but today's loss was so, so, so bad. Like Redskins Chiefs 45 to 10 in 2013 bad. That I think there's probably a forty or fifty percent chance that this actually happens tomorrow, at least with Jay. If you follow Burgundy blog on Twitter, you probably noticed that Um in the middle of last week I was one of the first to become aware of these major problems in Alex Smith's post-operative course. I really can't disclose how I came into that information, but I assure you that I didn't break any laws or have any direct interaction with anyone who did. Since then, I've learned a few more details that I don't really feel comfortable sharing, except to say that they are serious and discouraging and I worry for his full recovery. In my opinion, despite the the somewhat favorable initial prognoses, At this point, it is very unlikely that he will play professional football again for the Redskins or any other team. That is just my personal interpretation and expectation based on limited information, but on a little more, I think, than what is widely known, and with a little bit of educational context. I just don't think he's going to be able to make it back, and of course I hope and pray for his sake that he is not substantially limited in other ways. From a football standpoint, you've certainly realized by now that if he doesn't come back, the Redskins are in pretty rough shape over the next couple of years in terms of the salary cap because of a huge amount previously committed to a player who I think will not be able to suit up again. In fact, he's likely to account for around 10 or 11 percent of the cap both years. First of all, as many others have pointed out, and especially because Colt McCoy's injury, to go along, I guess, with his durability in general and his talent level, he is a little bit of a wild card. I agree with others who have surmised that the Redskins will be almost forced to draft a rookie quarterback next year and possibly in the early rounds in the hopes that the cheapness of the quarterback that they are soon playing will compensate for the expensiveness of the sitting quarterback that they are paying. I wanted to elaborate just a little bit on something I learned this week about the Redskins' insurance on Alex Smith's signing bonus. This was brought to my attention by Joel Corey when he was on 106.7 a few days ago. And then I fleshed it out personally by reviewing the details of several contracts. And then I learned a lot more about this topic from a Twitter discussion privately with J.I. Halsell. I hope I'm pronouncing his name right. H-A-L-S-E-L-L, you can find him on Twitter. He was kind enough to share a lot of insight with me. And he's really smart about NFL contracts. So we all learned this week that the Redskins have $12 million worth of insurance on Alex's signing bonus. The bonus, by the way, in its entirety over the contract is $27 million. Now, actually, to be specific, I don't know for a fact that they have $12 million worth of coverage, and I'm not sure anyone does, at least not in the media, but Alex's contract allows them to have up to $12 million of coverage against it, and that would be something that they could use or cash in in the event that he is unable to return to the field due to a football-related injury, among other reasons, but that, of course, would be the applicable or relevant reason in this case. The thing that was new and somewhat mind-blowing to me this week is that if they actually invoke this insurance, that money can be credited back to their salary cap. Now, I'm not 100% certain that they could get it 100% credited, but I think that they can, although I think also that it would not be immediate, it would likely roll into the subsequent year. Some of you have seen by now that a similar case happened with Aaron Rodgers a few years ago, and I think it was the year he broke his collarbone. He missed enough time that the Packers were able to claim some insurance, and they had a a much smaller cap credit given back to them of something like a million dollars a year over like three years. Anyway, this doesn't happen very often, but insurance of this nature is actually quite common in the mega contracts for star quarterbacks. And so while initially the revelation of this $12 million in insurance may have struck some fans as a very smart move by Bruce Allen and Eric Schaefer, I started to feel a little bit less like that when I learned that the current contracts of Aaron Rodgers, Matt Stafford, and Kirk Cousins have provisions for up to $40 million worth of guarantees in insurance for on-field injury. Matt Ryan, Joe Flacco, and Jimmy Garavolo have contracts allowing up to $20 million worth of coverage. And by the way, when I say allow, what I mean is that The contract stipulates a limit, but I have it on good authority from one NFL agent directly and another indirectly that these figures are of so little interest or significance to the players because they just don't affect in any way what gets paid out to the player in the event of such injury that they are not even considered points of contention in the contract negotiations. Now loosely, I suppose a player would very softly prefer to limit the allowable insurance because a big policy might make a team slightly more likely to invoke it and therefore move on from the player. But again, it, it doesn't affect the player's payout in any way in the event of injury. Now, I don't actually know if there's like some NFL or NFLPA rule about the absolute max or limit of this type of insurance. But like I said, I know of at least three players whose contracts have provisions for up to $40 million. And as I understand it, these policies are extremely expensive, but the premiums do not count against a team's salary cap. The extent of these policies are limited only by a team's or owner's willingness to spend separate non-cap cash. In other words, Dan Snyder could have insured up to $40 million or perhaps more of Alex Smith's guarantees if he had just wanted to. And again, all or most of that would then have been potentially eligible for cap credit or relief, which would, of course, have substantially mitigated the extremely negative roster implications of Alex Smith's injury. Doesn't seem like there's much that could be done about this now, but my interpretation is that they really gambled on this contract with Alex Smith in more ways than one and lost on all of them.